from Variety, celebrating more than 118 years covering the business of entertainment. This is the Award Circuit Podcast. I've worked with actors who've done that. That's their thing. It's not, it's, that's none of my business. As long as it's not impeding or harmful to me, go to town. Method acting isn't right for Dave Vine, Joy Randolph, but if it works for you, then go for it. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this episode of the award-winning Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to Dave Vine, Joy Randolph, who stars in Alexander Payne's new critically acclaimed film, The Holdovers. Also on this episode, we talk to prosthetics artist Kazu Hero about transforming Bradley Cooper in Maestro. But first, on the roundtable, we take a victory lap for solving the SAG after strike, and we also check in on the latest movies hitting the award circuit. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Well, hello, everybody. It is a brand new day. It is a brand new roundtable. Life is good. I am Michael Schneider, the television editor of Variety. I am joined by Clayton Davis, Jazz Tanke, Janelle Riley. We're all here, and we are taking a victory lap because... We did we it. Ended it. We <laughs> did it. Success. Oh, we did it. Did it, team. We did it. Yes. For, for those Manifested. who missed last week's episode, we recorded it on a Tuesday morning, knowing that a strike could end or might not end. So we just went for it. We just we 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 plowed through, knowing that if we said that it wasn't over yet, it would end. And sure enough, literally a day later, it was all over. And it was thanks to us. You're welcome, Hollywood. Because yep. too many times before we had said, oh, we're feeling optimistic. It'll probably be done this week. This might be outdated. And then it didn't end. So we went negative and it paid we, off. We did it. Um, the question is, where were you when you heard the news? Oh, I was at SAG Foundation. Yeah, oh, I was. That's, that's, right. a, that's a place yeah. to be. That's the perfect place. So, Janelle, what happened? So, were, did you go up on stage and say, "We did it. It's over, kids"? No, I didn't know because um, the SAG After Foundation audiences are very respectful, and nobody was on their phones except for to take photos of Eugenio Derbez, who was I was interviewing. And uh, the moment the Q and A ended, I checked my phone and I saw the news, and nobody believed me because, really? I, well, yeah, because. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I, the strike ended and people were like, really? Because they'd all heard before, like, oh, I think it's going to end or I think it's near the end. And then I, I, I myself wasn't sure, you know, uh, I never want to be that person who accidentally reports that someone's dead and, and isn't. So um, I waited until Variety confirmed it and then said, okay, you know, it's out there. It's in the trays. It looks like they've reached an agreement. And like, it was so funny to watch people go from like, apprehensive to unsure to optimistic to overjoyed a hundred percent so i saw you later that evening so i got a text message going up the escalators at hollywood and highland with the ovation whatever it is for disney's premiere of wish and i got a text message of like have you heard anything about the strike and i was like what do you mean and i jumped into slack and i was seeing it go off and it was Funny enough, I was talking to somebody at Disney at the time and yeah, we found out and that premiere turned into like, it just felt like a celebration, like this giant cloud had lifted and it was, yeah, it was jubilant. That's where I was. 
There was a wishing wall at um, the wish premiere where you were supposed to write a wish and put it down and, and stick it on the wall. How and, many? How many times did it say SAG? Well, see, <laughs> so many. <laughs> if it had, if that premiere had taken place three hours earlier, that wall would have looked very different. Instead, yeah. I was like, "Oh well, I don't need to wish for the strike to over. Um, I want my dog to live twenty years, mm. <laughs> fifty years." <laughs> Oh, you're such a good person. I would be like, millions of dollars, please. <laughs> millions. <laughs> what about uh, you, Clayton? How did I think you I was I, th- I think I was just I think I was honestly home. Uh because I was because I was yeah, because it was home during the day. Cause then Wish happened that night. So I took Sophia to Wish. And wait, was Sophia wait that yeah, that was the day. Sophia right? was yeah. with you. Yeah, yeah, Sophia was with me. Yeah, but I found out when I was home. So yeah. I was just home uh, minding my own business. I was like, it's over. And uh, Jessica's been sick of me uh, talking about it around the house. And I'm like, I think SAG might end this week. And she's like, shut up. No, it's not. You keep, say- <laughs> keep saying this and it's not. And she also doesn't really know what all that means. She's like, I don't understand what's going on. She's a regular person. Just like the Love rest that. of uh, everyone yeah. that's not in L.A. and New York. So, um, yeah, she's, I mean, yeah. It, it, God, the floodgates open. I, I, Mike and I both were doing some... Uh, reaction pieces I, it took four minutes and 46 seconds to get the first actor pitch after was the news it? broke wow i can't say who okay. but four minutes and 46 seconds after that news huh. broke it was like hey can you speak to this actor and i was like let me breathe and then it hasn't stopped since yeah i so yeah. some folks did wait because the strike ended that night at 1201 a.m so literally at 1201 a.m i got some emails uh with with pitches so so some people did wait until the official end of the strike but i thought that was hysterical that they had timed those emails for that time they were like, like go go, go schedule go. send i i spoke <laughs> i spoke to a publicist like the next day because i was doing the you know what's the reaction in the award space that hadn't gone to sleep uh yeah they have been up all yeah. night just answering emails taking calls doing strategy sessions and now like the floodgates have just opened did you so. see there were i don't want to out them because it was an honest mistake but there was somebody who started promoting their movie that night and they were like i can finally talk about it in this movie and somebody was like uh you have to Certainly wait till one. and they were like sorry mm. disregard right i think a lot of people were confused by that but i think at that point it was kind of always forgiven everyone was just so excited to to be back and you saw the late night shows suddenly have to re rejigger their schedules a little bit because stars were suddenly around and they could mm-hmm. promote their things oh, for the man, first time who did they cancel on who did they say like, i know sorry zoo guy yeah, we don't know anymore it was a nice the, run, artisans. It was a sorry jazz. It was a nice run for the ow. costume designers and, and I mean, listen, artists. also directors too. Directors found out real quick they got discarded unless you're like a big huge name, uh, like Christopher Nolan. Everyone kind of just were like, okay, can we talk to your actors now? Well, it was not us, but just in general, it feels like that in the ether. Yeah, we still love the yeah. artisans. We still love the directors. We care. It was interesting because the the email invites for events that were happening that weekend were suddenly like, here's an updated list of talent now attending and the same for premieres. And you're like, here we go. It's it's unleashed. And we're back to our regular programming. Yes. Until next time, America. (laughs) And then I've I've been joking uh, sometimes. I'm sure you all feel like this. I kind of like, can the strike go back? Because too much, like too much is happening right now. Like it, like it really is. Like now, this feels like 2020, weirdly, but like accelerated. So obviously, that season got like elongated, and now 
it's the same time, but everything's like put in this very small, like five week window now where everyone, because voting opens January 10th and we're, you know, less than two months away. And now actors need to now start talking about their projects. Mm. The next, who else is, who else is just scared for January? (laughs) Oh, those first two weeks, especially Emmy weekend, uh, creative arts, golden globes, SAG, I'm not SAG, uh, critics choice, uh oscar nominee like those first yeah two weeks of january are going to be insane oh nuts nuts uh but wait hold on i want to keep mike uh engaged in this conversation because we got some emmy news for next season next oh, yeah? oh next emmy season io from the bear switching to lead Scoop oh my god that came this week That's, well she should i think yeah. I, I do good call agree yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I'm still on the boat of like, I think it should be lead actress drama, but we can uh, we can digress about that another time. But listen, good call. And in this year, we, we, we've spoken a lot about this. There's going to be TV. There, there's going to be contenders. But if there's a time to switch it out, like I think there's a very good chance she wins the Golden Globe this year. I think there's a really good shot that she does because they love newer shows. Um, they gave it to Quinta last year and they don't repeat a lot. So I wouldn't be surprised if she actually pulls it off. Yeah. Although, you know, it is, it's, it's, it's almost a whole new voting body at the Globes. It's kind of hard now to predict what they, they may do, but if, if it's sort of a, you know, the the legacy of the Globes still stands, then I think you're right. Uh, but that's going to be really interesting to see. And by the way, we, we still don't know where we're going to be watching the Globes. Uh, if, if, it's going to be on Roku or NBC ATLA. or, <laughs> or Variety. La Mega. It's going to be on radio. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think there's some things when it comes. I, listen, I think a lot. I mean, I, I feel for them in the sense right now of like, who is going to want to make an announcement or commit in this moment where, you know, actors were on strike and we weren't, I mean, listen, if it didn't end by last Friday, I think we're all in agreement that this was the rest of 2023. Like we were done for the year. And then 2024 comes like Globes and SAG and Emmys. I don't think would have happened. There's no way they could. Right. So I think now a lot of it is just run, run, run. Let's see what happens. Right. So the the awards industrial complex has been saved again. We did it. <laughs> we can we can we can give each other trophies, and it feels good. Yes. Back to where it began. One Some, other thing, by the way, uh, Emmys talk before we move on to these these films, these these movies, <laughs> these pesky movies. Uh, the the other big news coming out of the TV Academy is uh, today is Thursday, as people are listening to this, and uh, we're about to have a new uh, TV Academy chairman, and it is Chris Abrego who is taking over as of January as the new chairman of the TV Academy, the the first Latino uh, head of the television Academy in history. And it's uh, so that's big groundbreaking news. Uh, Chris, of course, uh, is a very busy dude uh, heading up Banerjee Americas in addition to his uh, collaboration with Eva Longoria. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where he has the time to also be running the TV Academy. I mean, might as well just him. throw this on top, you know, it's, it's, but Good, it, it, great it is, move. Yeah, it is his moment. And uh, so congratulations to Chris Abrego. Um, taking over as TV Academy chairman as of 2024. Uh, how long do, do, do chairmen's 
they don't have terms, right? Like it's just uh, they're terms. They're, there they're are two, terms. They're, they're two year terms, and you can do two years back to back. So most folks end up doing four years. Uh, the the exception was the the last period. Frank Sherma, who's been TV Academy chairman actually for five years, uh, because uh, the pandemic, uh, ev- everyone sort of they yeah they kind of paused it for a year. They they extended everyone's deals by a year just because of the the disruption that was going on. So pull he the, actually pulled pull the FDR <laughs> exactly. So he actually war. served for five years. Yeah. Um. But um. But yeah. So, so that's the, the the big news coming out of the TV Academy. All right. uh, but uh, to clarify, there because the the this this uh, upcoming January TV Academy Emmys was should have taken place during September. Uh, Frank Shermer will still be the chairman who you see uh, at this year's uh, at at this January's uh, yeah. Emmys because then you'll see Chris at the September Emmys. God can't can't wait for all the emmy stuff to talk about (laughs) we're talking about better call saul two emmy ceremonies in one year let's go it's gonna be so Uh, much fun so much fun um but yeah so listen i by the time recording of this the last drops have come we've seen everything that the year has to offer in terms of best picture talk we're gonna assume boys in the boat though there's boys in the boat. We're getting just like <laughs> we could say that there's that. I mean, I, I want I, I can't meet a real person that knows that that movie's even coming from George Clooney. They just like don't know. It's you know what's movie. crazy? Yeah. My mom keeps asking about it because she loved the book. She's been asking about it for like years. It is a popular book. Point, yeah. Wow. Kenneth Branagh was going to direct it. And then, you know, we stopped hearing about it for a while and like so now it's like I I forgot that movie was coming out this year, and my own mother is like, "So when's Boys in the Boat?" Your mom, interesting. Boys in the Boat fan and Stephen Young fan. She just keeps, <laughs> she she needs all the updates. Where does she stand on the Clune Dog? Uh, she's well. You know what? It's funny. She's met him because the first year of ER, she was a big ER fan. We were in Vegas at a Wayne Newton concert of all things. My grandma was a Wayne Newton fan. And the entire cast of ER was in Vegas for some reason. I don't know if they all just came as friends and they just like sat down right behind us. And she oh. was flipping out. But the person she really wanted to meet was Anthony Edwards. Ah, uh, Goose. She loves Dr. Mark Green. <laughs> Dr. Yes. Mark Green. Yes. But forever Goose. <laughs> no, no, not forever Goose, sadly. No. No longer Goose. An hour no goose. into the movie. So, yes, yeah, so she's very excited about it. All right. Look, uh, actually, maybe we should start with Wish because we didn't get to talk about Wish because we talked before the strike lifted and all that stuff happened. Uh, the new Disney movie, a- animated feature contender for sure to get in. I mean, it's 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 Disney. Um, we have our first Afro-Latina princess in Ariana DeBose, and it's wonderful. Um, I think the music in the second half of the movie is really great. And I think in classic Encanto form, they're going to probably submit the wrong song, which is the titular uh, This Wish and the best song in the movie. Actually, just dropped on Spotify today. Uh, I if uh, was I if I knew what I knew now. Oh, it got an applause break at the Academy screening. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the best song of, of, the, yeah. of the entire movie. It's so good, you yeah. can't not cheer for that. song. It's the Bruno of it, and they're yes. gonna submit yes. wrong. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I really, oh. I really, I like the, and the villain song too. Pr- Chris Pine's song is uh, 
I love it. Though, for you, or what, what's it called? This is the thanks I get. This is the thanks I get. This is the thanks I get. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's very fun. I imagine lots of parents are going to be singing that on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. All right. And then this will just be played on repeat. Uh, but but animation's beautiful. It is, uh, lack of a better term, Disney porn. I mean, everything that you've known about Disney for the last hundred years is sprinkled all throughout that movie. Uh, a lot of Easter eggs. Um, and it, and it, it's it's a good time. Like, is it good enough to beat Spider Man? Mm, I don't know. Uh, but it's, I think it's definitely, I think in this movie, in this year of celebration, that branch is full of Disney, uh, people. I think, I think it's in, I, I wonder if it hurts elemental. I don't know if they're, uh, like, do they do both? Sometimes yeah. they don't, you know, so that, 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 that remains to be seen. It's got a beautiful, beautiful post credit scene though, where yes. you've got to stay for the end for this one. And the ah moment is it's great. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think to your point on song, like it's just filled with a treasure trove of songs and it's just like which one is going to hit land. I love the villain song, I think. Like that one, you just can't get Chris Pine's voice and those lyrics out of your head. But Such we'll see what yeah. well, I, I also really liked the the swish reprise that the whole village sings. Yeah. I mean, obviously I don't want to ruin why yeah. they the, but the reprise of that is so beautiful um yeah. and a powerful moment any any song that has a reprise usually is the yeah. one that gets put in the oscar race so there yeah. there you go and by the way people that I, it's also people go chris pine can sing i'm like have you not watched into the woods yet agony right. is literally the moment of the movie and it's <laughs> the best him and uh billy magnuson billy. are magic in that movie together i was crazy but, supposed to be jake gyllenhaal and chris pine and was it really? Jake, yeah, and then Jake Gyllenhaal dropped out, and Chris Pine got bumped up to Rapunzel's Prince. Oh, yeah, that would have worked. I would have liked Sorry, that. not Rapunzel's Prince. He got bumped up. Yeah. <laughs> the whole point is uh, he got yeah. bumped up to um, uh, Cinderella's Prince. Yeah. And Billy Mangus. Prince Charming. The one thing I said to Ariana DeBose, because I, I moderated that Q&A with her the night after the premiere, and I was like, Ariana, you're like a Disney toy now. Like you are to your point that oh. she's like. Speaking of, did you uh, like? We haven't even talked about the real star of the movie, which is Star, the oh. little sentient star. That, that, that little, that little yeah. piece of merchandising, it's the man. Baby Yoda <laughs> of of Wish. Oh my god, that thing is so cute. And the lamb, right? It's lamb. Val- Valentina, the baby goat. Val- the baby goat, voiced by Alan Tudyk, and the voice is very similar to his clay face on Harley Quinn. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. Yeah. Um, and then we moved uh, to turn t- from happiness to complete and utter devastation. Sunday morning at 10 a.m., I sat down for The Iron Claw, A24's movie, which uh, Jazz and Janelle did not attend because they were at church. That's, re- that's where you go on Sunday mornings, right? It's you go to church. church. In another screening. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, if anyone knows, it's about the Von Erich family. If you're a wrestling fan. Joe Otterson's listening to this right now, our colleague of Variety. He knows that story in and out. If you know it, then you know this is the, it's a harrowing story. It And it's from Sean Durkin, which, by the way, it's a Sean Durkin flick. Of course, it's dark because he makes dark movies. And I think he's a great filmmaker. Um, but what really makes it extra depressing is that the first half is painted so joyfully. <laughs> They're such a happy family, and you know what's coming. And when it makes the turn, it makes the turn aggressively, and then you're just 
like the guy sitting in front of me, there's a part in the movie that he was audibly sobbing and there was a woman holding him. I'm assuming it might've been his partner or it could have been anybody, but holding him, trying to like calm him down. And then he had crutches. He got up and then ran out of the room and then didn't come back until the Q and a started. It, 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 I mean, listen, I think it's very good, but also just good luck getting people to press play. Cause yeah. if, if you know the story, you know, what's coming, then I don't know. Like if you want to kind of put yourself through it, I think it's great. Zach Efron, do connect, but Holt, Mc, Holt McCraney, Holt McCallany, Colony, that is it. General, do you know how to say it? He's the dad. He's a dad. Oh yeah. No, I don't. I think he's, he might be the Oscar run from this movie. Very J.K. Mm-hmm. Simmons whiplash. Like him a lot. And he's someone who's been around. Like, we've seen him in things. You've he's that guy. Him. Yeah. A TV guy, too. Right? He's in uh, a bunch of TV work also, I think. Hmm. Uh, by the way, is the Iron Claw a reference to a wrestling move? Yes. Yeah. It's, their, it's their signature move. Well, I will find out today. <laughs> uh, he was on a few episodes of uh, Law and Order, and he was on Mindhunter as well. So, yes, he did. Oh, Mindhunter. Mindhunter. Yeah. Mindhunter. yeah. Uh, and then, uh, musically, we move to Purple, the color that is purple. Jazz yeah. and Janelle, you have seen it. I have not seen it at this time of recording yet, so please. Fantasia Barino, Power of Women cover, one of the four yeah. this week. I was just going to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's going to shake up the acting races for sure. I um, was a huge, huge fan of this musical on Broadway. I saw it with Cynthia Revo. I saw, I actually saw it with Fantasia. Um, and I remember going in thinking, like, how do you make the color purple into a musical? And actually, I think the musical is the best interpretation of it because it can bring in that magical realism. It brings in so much joy and, for lack of a better word, color. Like, you know, the, the Steven Spielberg movie was beautiful in its own way, but you know, for, for obvious reasons, serious, you know, um, this is, I, I, they cut a lot of songs. I just want to prepare song fans of the musical. It's very different. It's not a sung through musical. Um, it's a, it's a story with songs. Um, they have like, you know, a lot of the big classics, uh, that are in there. I'm here is there, which Fantasia kills. Um, but there are a lot of songs that are gone. It's a little bit different from the musical, um and it's spectacular people are going to love it it's it's just yeah. i think i think they're just going to fall in love with it can i can i, I, think... ask, can I, can I ask, can I ask a question about the i mean listen they've been there's a lot of been there's been uh, excuse me there's been screenings for this movie a lot over the last few months test screenings uh they did some long lead press etc i'm hearing various standout people and there's a big like Team Danielle Brooks, Team Taraji P. Henson, like hundred percent happening. And team Danielle, she, your Team Danielle. Taraji's great, um, but again, I think we might take her for granted a little bit because she's always great. I think so. Taraji, like Taraji's great in everything she does. This is hustle and flow. Great with that extra level. I mean, she's so great as Shug, and I think you know what you were saying. It's like, how are they gonna do this iteration of? The color purple and blitz the director did such a good job of it the costumes francine jameson tanchuk who who just has never won an oscar and has worked in this industry for so long i i think her costumes were amazing uh danielle yeah i mean 
it depends. Like some t- some minutes I'm team Danielle and other times I'm team Taraji. Fantasia is brilliant. And please, please, please read Angelique's incredible interview with her, which is on our website or pick up the physical, yeah. you know, copy. It's so good. I, I don't know what's going to happen with the actress race once people see this film or the voters. I think they're going to start seeing it this week. Uh, I'm just, we have a wealth of yeah of like acting which is out there and actress so i don't know like yeah i mean that's that's been the big problem with this with um, not problem it's a good problem to have what's been hard to gauge out this race and why the color purple dropping even being you know i've heard early on that it was good that you know a minimum that it was good and that a lot of people would find it great um is that you anticipate something like that far out anticipating movies are going to fall on its face along the way and not many movies fell on its face during the festival circuit that and that and that's and that's what makes it hard like filling out a 10 is going to be hard for for a lot of people you have to ask yourself what movie generates passion like you know it's it's the number one votes that are that matter but it's those six seven eight nine tens that really do uh wonders and then there's still like the first half of the year movies that people have been on board with the like like air and past lives are still very very popular uh among people out there so like they're even fighting for spots so being late to the party is you know it's it's, it's a flip coin and to your point on air like at the top yeah we record we're recording this on the wednesday last night i moderated a q a with with air and it was the screenwriter and a couple of the artisans and this was the DGA, DGA 2, and it was packed. There were like over 100 people for a film that came out in April. Yeah. And, and there were many on Amazon Prime, yeah. It's on yeah. Amazon Prime. And I did a, like, who's seen this for the first time tonight? And, like, at least, like, two-thirds of, of that house raised their hands. It's crazy. Yeah. Getting people out. And that's great that they're mm-hmm. still coming out for the artisans and everything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then, I think Color Purple is going to have the passion vote. That's, that's think, yeah, okay. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Like normally we, these movies go to the festival and we wait and see which ones fall away. And it's really been a high amount of quality. Yeah. Um, and then lastly was Napoleon. Really we all saw yesterday. We all saw yesterday. We did. Two hour and 37 minute Napoleon. <laughs> There's uh, a four-hour cut out there. Uh, yeah. Is that true, by the way? Or did it, is that something that the world just, like, made up because he always has longer cuts of his movies? I would actually oh, like to know. see the four-hour cut. I mean, probably. Yes. Because I'm sure then there were... So here... I, I Let me just say, I really love Ridley Scott. Respect the man very much. And I think he's made some of the greatest movies of our generation in cinema. However... While Napoleon has those signature brutality moments that it's like violence and you see a horse's chest get blown out. It is like it is alarming how brutal this is at times. There also has to be a story that flows and the cradle to grave biopics. And this is even cradle to grave. This is like I became a part of the army to grave. It's it's really hard to do. Janelle and I were talking about this yesterday. We love a good slice of life biopic. Give me a right. time. Take, take a yeah. period of time. Give me a moment, man. Because that really that really does. It, you you get 
you get a better story out of it. There's more breadth to your actors. There, there's just too much movie in a two hour, 37 minute movie that you're like, okay, either go full miniseries with it or just like, or, or cut a lot of it out. Yeah. Yeah. Or cut a lot of it out. Because it's really trying to cover a lot. And so, and thus things only get like, you know, five minutes, like, oh, here's that famous event you heard about five minutes for that five minutes for that. What I do want to say, though, is I was very pleasantly surprised at how funny it is. Really? Uh, yeah. So campy. So oh, he, he's in his camp. Yeah. He's a camp mode. I don't know if it's camp, though. I think it's It like, is campy, right? No, I, campy I, implies, I, like, uh, to me, to me, campy implies, like, it's almost not supposed to be funny. Like, they, they know they're being funny. Like, it's just funny in the way life is funny. The bedroom scene when, like, I... Don't know. I found that hilarious. I was like, "Oh my god!" I mean, okay, I, 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 I mean, he like takes her under a dinner table and bangs her in front of like under the dinner table. Like, I feel like you got to do that for camp. I mean, listen, it, it, some of it, like I think, like there, there's some great action sequences that, um, what we what we see in the trailer, uh, the battle on the ice. Uh, I don't know what country that is. You also, I think, are needed to know a lot of history and who these people are. I did not take European history and I don't remember a lot of stuff in life. So they were saying names and showing people. I was like, who's that and why is this a thing? I did see 1812 and I thought of the War of 1812, which has nothing to do with this movie. But I just remember that year. I used to say that as a joke. I will say Vanessa Kirby is sorry. No, Vanessa Kirby, please. No, she is brilliant. And I, in a way, like I really loved their story and I kind of wanted a bit more. I think that should have been the movie. Either you do full that or you cut her out completely. Yeah. When they're together, those scenes are wonderful. And Joaquin Phoenix, again, like they have wonderful chemistry. So funny, so charming and just weird in the best way. But production design, costumes, maybe sound or visual effects, depending on what happens there. But I think it's a tech player at best. I don't yeah. think this is a eight, nine, ten player. You think she's going to get in supporting or no? No, no. I think that category is pretty. So yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty supporting sad. is. So I mean, we're just about Danielle, Danielle Brooks, and Taraji, and like you know, and Davine, and Davine. I mean, Davine. Yes. I think yeah. This well, week's guest, Davine, who- Joy Randolph. People who don't think uh, Penelope Cruz is making the 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 cut of five because it's so competitive, and that's one of my favorite performances of the of the year. And Ferrari also weirdly very funny. Yes, but yeah, uh, Mike, that's all your movies this year. So go watch them today. Yeah, Have you well, seen anything at the weekend? Mike saw Boys in the Boat. Oddly enough, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would be so mad. I'm like, really. <laughs> Uh, I am seeing uh, Wish tonight as we speak on nice. Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, like I mentioned last week, I have seen Holdovers. So I have seen Dave Vine and Fantastic. So Ooh. looking forward to seeing this conversation, listening to this conversation up next right here on the award winning Award Circuit podcast. Stay How close. about that for a transition? Nice segue. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye, Clayton. Bye, Jazz. Bye, Janelle. Bye, Mike. After the break, we talk to the Holdover star, Davine Joy Randolph. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast.
And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. Alexander Payne's The Holdovers tells the story of a curmudgeon instructor played by Paul Giamatti at an elite New England prep school who was forced to remain on campus during Christmas break to babysit the students with nowhere to go. He forms an unlikely bond with a damaged, brainy troublemaker played by newcomer Dominic Sessa and the head cook played by Davine Joy Randolph. Randolph's character, Mary Lamb, is a cafeteria worker who is grieving the loss of her son who died in the Vietnam War. I had you got stuck with babysitting duty this year. How'd you manage that? Oh, I don't know. I suppose I failed someone who richly deserved it. Oh, the Osgood kid? Yeah, he was a real asshole. Rich and um, popular combination around here. It's a plague. Uh, and you? You'll be here too? I'll buy my lonesome. My little sister Peggy and her husband invited me to go visit them at Roxbury, but I feel like it's too soon. Like Curtis will think that I'm abandoning him, you know? This is the last place that my baby and I were together. Not including the bus station. Well, I look forward to your fine cooking. Oh, no, no, don't do that. All we've got is whatever's in that walk-in. No new deliveries till January. From Dolomite Is My Name with Eddie Murphy to serving as a series regular on Only Murders in the Building, Randolph is making her mark in the business. Friday's Clayton Davis recently spoke with Randolph, who discussed her thought-provoking process of building her character in The Holdovers, in addition to what she's looking for from Hollywood and how she pitched herself to Yale Drama School. They began by talking about how post-strike, how Randolph was feeling about finally being able to once again talk about her work. It's great, but you know, it... Listen, the strike was hard. It was hard for many people for many different things. Mm-hmm. And almost like the pandemic, it goes through many different ways and emotions and waves, excuse me, and emotions and stuff yeah. like that. But something about it that I did enjoy, it allowed me to have um, a lot of times you'll create a piece. It'll go away for mm-hmm. like a, a year, usually eight months to a year. And then it's just bang, 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 bang. And it was nice to let it. I mean, look, we filmed this uh, technically two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice to have let it breathed mm-hmm. and to now we got very lucky that it technically the strike ended on what was it? The eighth. Mm-hmm. And we technically were in like theaters world. Well, not worldwide, but mm-hmm. uh, nationwide, the 10th. Yeah. <laughs> God had some good time and great sense of humor. Thank you, thank you, God. But you know what I mean? It's nice. Yeah. It's nice to have this opportunity to share this with people. The world is different now. You know, I think this is a project that um it's a it's a holiday movie, but it's not you're like, you know what I mean? Like a Christmas story. Um in a good way. Yeah. I think. I think it's a more realistic holiday story um and and i'm grateful that people are connecting to this material you know you never know and i I think that's something i do miss about theater that it was a bit of that like i mean this might sound selfish but that instant gratification yeah yeah. in the moment where you're like oh okay cool that registered that (laughs) hit (laughs) right you're like the interesting thing with film is you're throwing many different things up against the wall and um, just trying many different ways of telling the story, hoping yeah. to um, 
really land on something solid mm-hmm. that hopefully, right? For me, it's my it's my biggest, most important thing for me as an artist uh, outside of being true to the character in the process. Yeah. It has to reach people. Even when I'm picking jobs, it has to reach people. If it's not reaching people. You ain't doing it. If on the page I'm like, there's nothing mm. here. Or talk to me and walk me through how you're going to put something in here. Because that's very real, too. Yeah. You can get scripts and you're like, huh? And then they have to, you know. But if it's not there, for me and my time, it's not worth it. Ooh, for me. and be, that's, be respectful of my time. That is the yeah. That is a very... People underestimate that saying a lot, and a lot of times they think, oh, you're being bougie. No, like, listen, like, we have finite number of hours in the day. I like sleep. I like relaxation. I like mm-hmm. me time. Mm-hmm. And I love my work, too, but I want things that are going to amplify and make my work worth it. And I think Absolutely. I think that it's great that you do that. And uh, listen, with this with this role in, in, in particular and what, why I love it so much um, – Listen, I'm I'm half Puerto Rican, half black. I fight Yay. for diversity and stuff all the time in this industry. This easily, easily could have been spiritual Negro, like teaches <laughs> teaches white white man role. Yeah, and like so, like we don't know how that switch could just be turned. Yeah, and it could have been that. And like big big ups to David Evanson and Alexander Payne. Oh, absolutely. Mary is the heart beat of the movie through and through. Thank you, yeah. And uh, did you feel, was that when you when you were the Yes, page? yes. I mean, listen, I, that's another thing of like, <laughs> in regards to how one's time is being used. Mm-hmm. If I felt like we are still throwing out the tropes of the 1930s <laughs> and those stereotypes, yeah. it's a no for me, mm-hmm. right? This is 2023. Yeah. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, it feels costing yeah right so um yeah that was very uh, listen at this point in the game when i have meetings with these studios execs and they're like well what is it that you would like to do next i straight up say to them i would like to tell the stories the same as that of a white straight male Mm. in this body Mm. and a lot of them are like "Uh, Okay, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, but it's cool. I get it. I'm yeah. challenging you. Yeah. Figure it out. Yeah. I have the skill set to do it. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. Cause we gotta we gotta disrupt this. So this was I was very grateful that now, to my knowledge, when it was brought to me from jump, it was always a woman of color. Mm-hmm. I think it was always supposed to be a black woman. Yeah. Cause there were other women that I think they were saying that they had reached out and stuff like that. And um so that was good because that sometimes happens. Yeah, just right where they're like, oh, yeah. okay, here we're gonna, you know what I mean? Like, let's just march it together and oh, they fine. We got her at the end of the day. Yeah. But um, no, and I think it was a conversation, an ongoing conversation. I mean, listen, it happens in the year nineteen, the winter of nineteen sixty nine, going to nineteen seventy. That quite arguably. Is one of the most difficult times in American history. 1968, just months prior, MLK dies. JFK dies right after that. You got the Vietnam War. Like, mm-hmm. it's heavy. Probably feel similar to this, but <laughs> heavy, heavy times. Yeah. And to be a black woman in a all-white, or we'll say because we do have uh, a student of color that's mm-hmm. in within this yeah. gaggle of boys, but... A predominantly all-white 
inst- Ivy League institution. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And so that was an on in Boston. On top of that, so it's a lot. It's it's the imposter part. In Boston, yeah, it's a it's a lot, you know. And so, yeah, I love that she gets to be, and there's no one. And even when you know someone does, uh, I guess we would say is the the young boy. When someone does, we don't let it. She doesn't. No one's silencing her. Yeah. And I think that's what's so actually really beautiful too about uh, Paul's and I character. We take up, we allow, and create space. Mm. We may not know what we're doing. We <laughs> may not be good at. You know what I mean? Like the whole sociable part. Yeah. But what I love is that everyone to their varying degrees are genuine listeners. Yep. And they're creating space for one another. Mm. And I think uh, in regards to Paul and Mary's relation in in specific, that's massive. I don't know how many people in day-to-day at that job or in her life create space and time for her. And I think we kind of just make it happen, yeah. you know what I mean, in the movie. But for me, that was one of the first things that I flagged and saw that I was like, wow, they're actually having a conversation. Yeah. And several ones. And he's listening to her. Uh, uh, t- uh, talk about Paul Giamatti for a minute. I've named mm. it a disease after him in Hollywood. It's called Paul Giamatti disease. It's when you make it look so damn easy. Yeah. To be a good actor, like, yeah. and I, I genuinely believe that's why that man does not have six Oscars today. Is because every time he does a movie, it's just like it, you know it, who they say that about, uh, Cary Grant. Yeah, a little like Cary Grant. Well, but, well yeah. historically, right? Yeah. I love old movies. Yeah. Historically, I don't know if Cary ever got one or just one. He did not. And people have yeah. said, critics have said, the ease in which that man... That's interesting you say that because I've never heard yeah. that outside of that. Yeah. But critics have said the ease in which Carrie moved mm. throughout these characters made it look like he wasn't doing they, anything. Mm-hmm. And because of that, critics fell short mm. in giving him his props. And, there, and there's a lot of people that... Uh, today. I also I say Willem Dafoe has that same disease a mm-hmm. lot, too. Like, like there's some people that just, like... I think they're, mm-hmm. they're so, like, clocked in, so in, in it, and, and people overlook it. They're just like, oh, my God, it's so easy for them. Yeah. It's like they don't see that they're building out a character. Yeah. But Giamatti... But he so, does the work. Uh, he does. He does the work. I, I, I mean... Well, first of all, there was this, right? So when they presented the project to me and they said, oh, it'll be with Paul Giamatti, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Right. But also what I was hoping and wishing for and I didn't know was Paul and I went to the same school. Years apart, but uh, we both went to Yale School of Drama. Yeah. So I was like, hmm. Same graduating class. I know Paul's your age. So yeah, we're going like, <laughs> to give Paul some compliments. So Paul just graduated recently. He just graduated. <laughs> uh, but no, you know, he... I was like, oh, I wonder how this is going to go because this is such an intimate, intimate movie. And I was so beyond pleasantly surprised. And I think it actually does very much so speak to our institution mm-hmm. that it is that in all that time, the fundamentals are still there. Mm. So upon day one. Also, he's a very, very kind, beautiful, supportive, loving human being. Mm-hmm. But acting-wise, immediately. 
And I was like, ooh, it gave me goosebumps because I was like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna dig in. Yeah. Because right as as our baseline, we already spoke the same language. Yeah. And so that fundamental work was already there. Yeah. So we started where we started from was already a very natural and strong foundation. But no, he um is so caring and so kind also to his characters the characters that he plays there's a lot of care and love that he creates um and a respect and reverence to them he doesn't take himself seriously in a sense of like you know i mean some people may think like oh my god for someone to be that talented and giving that much to their character like they're the type of actor that's like don't talk to me he's not an actor you know he's not like just walking around yeah. you know he, he he's about the work and he does love his characters flaws and all you know and i and i described him in this movie as imagine miles from sideways just went a different way in his life mm-hmm. you know and then mm-hmm. ended up here or see what happened to robin williams characters in dead poet society after he got fired yeah. where he went like yeah. it feels like they're just there's that foundation that you speak about is there. I'm interested though about that foundation. But I don't think we talk about that a lot. There is a community inside the acting community that you can communicate with with some that you can't with others. Yes. So can yes. you talk a little bit about that? I mean, it's, I don't know. Is it the Yale stuff or is it? I, or is it just, and I'm, I, you know, no. no, no, it's not because you know why? I when I did Dolomite, I met a man who was uh, his stand-in. Mm-hmm. Now, technically, usually, stand-ins, you know, it's just like... They're standing there. They stand there, <laughs> you know what I mean? They do their job, and that's very much so respected, needed, all the things. This guy was different. Mm. This guy was off book, was saying the lines with us like you know what mm, i mean yeah doing this and i was like whoa, 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 wait what and this man is a phenomenal actor mm-hmm. and i don't think he went to yale but i think his processes and his education yeah. that he's had we immediately connected right yeah. and so as and it was very listen that was a big movie and a lot of you know, nerves for me of like, oh my God, and da da da, and all these moving parts. And it was grounding for me that I was able to work with this uh, stand in. Uh, well, he was like his body double, but still, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To work with him and do a take or two before Eddie then came in, so that when Eddie did come in, I was like, oh, okay, now I know. He became part of your process without very even, much without so. even asking. To yes, be part and of I it. say that as an example yeah. of that's someone who did not go to Yale, one of the top three whatever yeah. graduate schools. So I think. And then I don't think it's a thing of like, oh, I'm a Meisner versus I'm a, you know, Stella Adler versus a blah, blah, blah. But there is a, is a ideology or a, a school of thought in regards to acting. One thing I would say that I'm grateful to Yale is, unlike some other schools, we were not, um, we, we did not subscribe to one method yes yes there are some schools that is one or two predominantly that they work off of Mm. i love and i'm very grateful that they were like we're gonna do it all 
Mm. We're going to show you all of it. You see in your process as you become what works for you. Yes, you know that's that's interesting. I, I I think about and I think you'll love this example. There is the turning point in 1959 cinema. We see it in a streetcar named Desire. Yes, we see the battle inside Hollywood, the Vivian Lees of the world that are now battling the Marlon Brandos, the methods, the not enunciating your words. You're just like, you can't really understand what he's saying. Vivian mm-hmm. Lee, classically trained mm-hmm. actress of the actresses. Mm-hmm. And you see them coming to like a foot in A Streetcar mm-hmm. Named Desire. Interestingly, Marlon's the only one of that cast that loses the Oscar. Three acting awards for that movie. Mm-hmm. Marlon loses. And you see it, and that's like a turning point. You see uh, Hollywood making the transition from sword and sandal, like yeah. biopics yeah. Uh, and big epics to like this new type of thing that they weren't sure what to do with it or unsure how people were going to respond. It's interesting that Yale seems to not see it as the combating. They're like, whatever works for you, you can be Vivian Lee or you can be Marlon Brando. And what I have is I'm right in the middle. Mm, nice. Right? And also, it, it, it's, it's, the, it's the role that you're portraying. Mm-hmm. Now, for me and how, as they say, like, how I'm built mm-hmm. over here, method is not for Dave Vine. Mm. I'll be a mess. Yeah. And I, that's not for me. I've worked with actors who've done that. Yeah. That's their thing. Yeah. It's not, it's, that's none of my business. Yeah. As long as it's not impeding or uh, harmful stuff. to me, <laughs> yeah. go to town. Yeah. Um, and I say that to say, so, okay, for example, so in this movie, um, I being, I, I don't know if it's because I come from theater slash have a, a deep love uh, for fashion. I'm very visual. Mm. So with every character, um, I need to know what she is wearing. wearing, what's her hair like. Clothes are saying just as much about her as her words. Oh will. my God. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And yet, and I, the reason why I reference theater is because when you're doing a play, you get rehearsal outfit, like a mock-up of what you're going to wear in rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So that it's a part of you. And it's not, obviously, they try to do it early on when you're doing a period piece to it. Like, if a girl has to wear a corset, like, mm-hmm. they'll be like, put on some shape or whatever. to just Because your posture and your body sits differently. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's very important. So with this show, um, it was a little less, I mean, obviously, what she wore was important. But what's so unique about this show, it was literally the textiles. Literally, we were looking at fabric swatches and I was feeling different swatches and of like when you and uh, Alex was very, it was funny. He was very involved with that process that I was surprised. I was like, you want to look at fabric with me? But that when I look at the movie now. Yeah. Every single thing she wears has a texture to it. Mm. And for me, there's a story about every single one. Like the, the talk about the purple. The, yes, uh, the purple. I wanted it. I was like, <laughs> it needs to be fuzzy. I want something like 3D. I want something where I wanted all of her pieces to feel comforting. I wanted people to see it and think of their aunt, their mom, their grandmother. 
when they saw the clothes that I wore. It's interesting because when I see that purple outfit, I think I want to give her a hug. Yes. That's the one I want to give her a hug. Yes. And that was intentional for me. I wanted people's senses to be alerted when they saw her in certain clothes or like I wear uh, in the restaurant, I have that like light powder pink, Mm -hmm. super um, sheer, um, like I think it was a silk chiffon or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, blouse. But then I have this like purple, you couldn't tell, but it was corduroy, thick, thick (laughs) corduroy and had like these little like dainty little paisley flowers. I wanted you to see and notice the details. And it was almost as if all this stuff is in her closet and everything has very specific meaning to her. Like she was a person to me who I felt like did not have much, but other things she had, it was, she did really good job and taking good care of it. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of those outfits, like that outfit in the restaurant and my mind, I had crafted that, there was like a goodwill in the neighborhood of the boarding school mm. and she like saved up her money and she got that. And that's like her like nice outfit along with like the navy blue one is like that's her and freak that, dress, if and, you will. And, and, like, and, that's that's, a, and the stuff stuck. you don't read on the script. Um, the script yes, the script. But that kind of stuff oh. helps me. So when I met Ruth Carter, I was like, oh, you're my spirit animal <laughs> because I've been doing this and I thought I was crazy yeah. off of the cut doing this. But she was like, oh, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. It's imperative. And so I've been continuing. No. It, it actually made me lean in more and set that uh, standard, a precedent of letting wardrobe know this is important to me. It's beyond the silhouettes. Yeah. This is important. Or like the hair. Yeah. I pull, I have, uh, I love a, a I album, like the shared mm-hmm. albums, I photos, the shared albums, maybe 300 different photos of references for hair. The bun comes from, do you remember in the beginning, the beginning of episode, uh, the beginning of the first season of the Jeffersons, what I thought was genius that they did was in the first season of the Jeffersons, Wheezy and George have just come into wealth, hence moving on up. Yeah. So she wore this bun that kind of was still giving like. I might be the maid cleaning myself. Yeah. See, when we think of her, we think of that beautiful, like, pressed out yeah. fro. In the beginning of the Jefferson, she had this dainty little soft bun. And she had, like, little tendrils by her ears and yeah. the nape of her neck. And it was just something so sweet and demure about that that I was like, you got to look it up. That I was because like. Because she just made the transition at that point. Yes. Oh, and so oh, what yeah, I loved about that. it is that it was clean. It was put together. Yet there was something feminine. This woman took great care in herself. You know, so there were times where uh, they were like, oh, okay, well, let's just have her enroll us. I said, no, 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 no. So you have to learn something about my people. Ain't no way. Yeah. I'm still at work. <laughs> you see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, you're not going to see her. You, not, yeah. you might, now, if you want to do that for a scene where I'm like in my room on a puzzle or whatever, great. It's in privacy. That's what they really wanted the rollers. And I was like, you can have it while I'm getting dressed to go to the party. Not in front of Paul Giamatti. There's, there's, there's <laughs> no way, right? And so it's stuff like that that is just so important to me in the yeah. details of that or dialect. They were like, you know, I'm from Philly, spent a lot of time in New York. Yeah. So they were like, oh, that's cool. Northeast. I said, no, 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 no. Come on, y'all. The Boston people are going to come for me. Yeah. Please. 
And I was like, it's cool of them. I said, however, for me, this character is from here. And I said, also, it's a great opportunity y'all missing out on. I was like, you could potentially miss out on. I said, because I don't know if people understand. I also love dialects, but dialects like bodies, human Mm -hmm. bodies. If you look at a human form, the body naturally evolves. Like the body of, I just saying because me of a woman in fashion, the body of a woman in the 50s is naturally different from a body in a woman in the 90s. Okay. Right? A woman in the 50s body is a little more hourglass, a little more shapely, whatever. The recipes, the food they were eating, whatever, that's how their bodies was, yeah. right? 80s, it's that Baywatch, super slender, straight up and down, athletic, yeah. we might be doing drugs body, yeah. right? <laughs> and so... Similarly with dialects, yeah. right? The dialect, and it's beyond like slang and colloquialism, colloquialisms, but the dialect of someone from Boston in the 70s is going to sound different than mm. in another decade or time yeah. period. Well, you're not looking for like the ka, you know, or, or the haviriyad. Like you're, it's, it's mm. a very, it's a. Because uh, I'm thinking of like the Grace Kelly, Jimmy Stewart's, like yes, with like, like the Mid Atlantic, yeah. yeah, yeah. But there are certain sounds yeah. that'll then pop, mm. right? And then also, then on top of that, she is a black person and she is a black woman, mm-hmm. right? So all those layers, I was like, guys, I have to do the dialect. So they were like, no, it's not necessary. So I'm gonna be upfront. I went and hired. Uh, Tom Jones, who does uh, Nicole Kidman, and he worked with um, Will Smith and and uh, uh, Jennifer Hudson for Aretha Franklin, mm. and I was like, "This is important to me because clothing, how she wears her hair, dialect, and then the last one being, which was on Alex smoking. That man sent me two large boxes, not two carts." Of cigarettes, two large boxes. The moment that we got off the phone and we were like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to make this movie. Cigarettes Mm. came to my door. It was very important to him that it looked believable. And he was like, I feel like the act of smoking means so much things and tells such a vivid story potentially, but that if you don't know how to do it, it tells on you. Mm. Even in just holding it. Yeah. And so I you know, I don't smoke at all. Yeah. So I was like, geez, uh <laughs> it's the most method you ever got. <laughs> we sometimes redid takes because he was like, No, Devon, it doesn't look and I'm like, well, what about the acting? You know what I mean? But like, it was a cigarettes. Yeah, the cigarettes or the cigarette would upstage me or the, the smoke will sometimes come into my eye and make me my eyes water. But it was it was a whole nother thing. Right. Yeah. And I say all of that in regards to the prep, because before they said action, I would adjust my clothing, touch and fill the textiles, yeah. do something of adjusting my hair. Take a drag. I would maybe say like, "Oh, Mister Hannum," real quick mm-hmm. of like a, and I actually learned that from Audra Day, Audra mm-hmm. Day, that when we did Billie Holiday, before every take, she would go, blah, 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 and that was her way of, zoop. ah, 
vocally, and I'm sure other yeah. things too, yeah, yeah. but for me, vocally, I was like, oh, she's in it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Mr. Hanum. And that was your cue. I'm in. All the senses now. Touch the clothes, touch the hair. I hope you say it forever, though, for every movie now. <laughs> it's going to be your zone in mode. But it's like, you know, yeah. it's, it's, and I say this to say, like, for that was my, that was my version of method. Yeah. Right? And that worked for me. Yeah. Also, I was dealing with, for me, heavy, heavy, heavy content the entire movie, right? So for me, I knew, ain't no way, Davon. We, we not about to do this full-blown method in that regard however also grief takes on many interesting nuanced curves Mm -hmm. right we knew straight on we're not about to do this one you know one dimensional way of grief yeah and so i had to find all these different colors and nuances how it shows itself yes the biggest thing about grief that i learned it's very vulnerable and very awkward Mm. grief is awkward especially when you don't know what to say in that in those moments it's almost like grief um almost like a uh like a prepubescent child how you know how like they're very awkward yeah they'll say things sometimes you're like what (laughs) you know what i mean like Like, okay there's there's like one and i I took me a while to adjust to her because sometimes I would be like, what is she saying? Did y'all mean, y'all really want me to say that? Like there's a, when you kind of first meet her, when he comes in to let her know, Paul comes in to let her know, you know, okay, so I'm, it's going to be me and you for, uh, the holdovers, the holdover. Uh, and he just asked a simple question of like, you know, so you're going to be there here the whole time or like, well, I have to do some of the meals. And she's like, no, I'm going to stay here because that's where I saw him last. I mean, beyond the bus stop. Mm. That's really when I saw him last at the bus stop. And how she says it is so like at the bus stop. <laughs> and it caught it tripped me up for a while because I in the beginning now she wanted to be like, no, I'm going to stay here. Yeah. Cause that was the last time I saw the bus stop. That it's like, it's just like this random, not random. It's just like your brain, your thoughts are so loud. I found in that space and so constant, the inner voice voices that sometimes certain things escape out. It's like, it's like that, that bus like up a, line. She must have like. In in the the woman Mary, she she says the line like, "Oh, no, I'm gonna be here the whole." It's like it's, he was here last time, and then the bus stop was a reminder at that moment. Yep, and not something like, she <laughs> thought of. Yes, yeah. like, like an afterthought. Yeah, and she has a lot. Well, that's why I found interesting about her grief. She has a lot of that, yeah. even when they're sitting on the couch. Like she has a moment where she has this really deep uh, admission of. I could not afford, no matter how hard I worked, I could not afford to put my child in college. Because if I did, maybe he wouldn't have even had to gone to the war. Yeah. This is my fault. To literally then be like, he hated you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he said you were an asshole. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I say that to say, 
Grief is complicated. Yeah. The same way people say, you know, love is complicated. Well, grief is complicated. Yeah. It's not a one note thing. And you don't need her to feel the same thing the entire time, or you rarely or, do, or, or address it. Like if anything, I feel like it's this, it's this flow, a constant flow waves, yeah. of all of this. That yeah, it's an ebb and flow of many things coming mm. in and out of you. And when you and what I thought was beautiful about their relationship to me that I saw on the pages, I said, oh, she feels comfortable to. Just let these random thoughts out that is so intimate and so personal. He's allowing her to grieve. They actually all are. Even the boys. I mean, the guy has an asshole moment, but they actually all are. Which is very special. But I also think, again, the times. That time was such a bleak time in history. Everyone knew what that meant. If you law and he went there. And he was so young that they knew, like, geez. And because of the color of his skin, he probably was on the front line. Yeah. And that's hard. And there's a part of it, too, where, you know, she is, a, as much as they are inclusive of her to varying degrees, she is an outsider. For sure. She's very much so an outsider being invited into their world. And while these, you know, which is something that Paul says of like, you have no idea because you were born into privilege. Yeah. Now, that's not your fault. You didn't choose that. But there's a whole nother reality that you don't even know about. And yeah. even for them, as lovely as Paul um, and Angus are, there's a level where they can't reach her. Yeah. They just can't. That's why they drop her off at her sister's house and don't stay. But damn right, Angus takes her bag up to the door for her because mm-hmm. they do. They they are there for her as much as they can be. Exactly. That, I like that. And for that, I think she's really grateful for. I talk to you all day. I have one last question for yeah, you. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, listen, you've had a bombastic year uh, with. Rustin as well, where you play Ilya Jackson. Uh, and you had a very interesting uh, summer with the idol. What is this time? Uh, what does it say about your moment? This is a moment. You're having a moment. Like, mm-hmm. and, I, and I say, listen, some of us were on, on this train long before this year. I, I did hear you in Sister Act. We, we've seen your Otome Brown. You Thank deserve. You. Yeah, we, we, we know the band. But some people are coming to, late to the party. We welcome them. Yeah, But what, sure. what does this moment uh, mean for you? And what does it feel like to have so many projects out there? Oh, I think this is this is what I prayed for. You know, this is when <laughs> I I'm a classically trained opera singer. I went to school for that in undergrad, and that's where I thought life was going to take me. Mm. And things happened. And immediately, things pivoted. I say that to say I never once, ever, ever, ever was like, I want to be an actor. Mm. But the universe, God, whatever you flow with, pushed me here. You make so a plan and God laughs. I, yes, I love that saying all the time. So there is a reverence and a respect that I give to this craft not only because this is a not a fair industry, I know very, very many extremely talented people that some people, unfortunately, will never know them and have the chance to experience. But I've had the great fortune to do so. Yeah. 
So there's a respect and a reverence that I put on it. I say that also to say when I was applying for graduate school, because Aparvi was like, I could take it or leave it, right? I don't even want to be this actor thing. Mm-hmm. I said to every single one of those schools, when you know they, you have that end of day callback and you're having the interview, I said, they said, well, what do you what do you want? Uh, to get out of this program every single one I said I want to be able to have the skill set to portray any and all ranges of characters for example I would love to be able to have the skill set to play Juliet and Romeo and Juliet and you believe me no matter what is the status of what my body looks like at that current present time Mm. every single school Laughed, commented, said a snide remark. The only school was Yale. And they said, but but of course. That is literally what our curriculum is about. And they held true to that. And so I'm now in a place where I feel like, okay, you're now using the skills that you were taught to portray as many variant characters and lives that you can tell because I really put respect on these characters. Now I don't care if I play an inmate. Yeah. I've done it. I put respect on these women's names. Mm. And so for me, I began to understand, Oh, this is my form of activism. This is my way of honoring my ancestors of giving back to my community, to giving back to the world. Uh, and this very, humanistic um, act you know uh, that's why I do it if this like I said all my characters have to you could be a villain but like you know for example on the come up when I was like "Mm, I don't know I was very intrigued by the idea Mm. of playing something different at the time as I was doing on the come up I was literally on the set of Rustin I was literally in Mahalia Jackson garbs, as churchy and sanctified as I could be. And they were asking me, would you be interested in playing, like, a stud who slings drugs? I was like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I get off, and I'm like, I get off. Because this is the thing, right? I, I did go to school. This is my school. This is my education. Yeah. I will say, having a director like Alexander and being around Paul is one of the first times or a time in a long time where I felt like I was back in school in the sense of when you're in school, yes, it's goal-oriented, but it's not. It's a lab. Mm. It's, a, it's a three-year lab. And you're just trying out different things. You're learning yourself. You're deepening yourself. I'm going to put this to the side right now. Let me try this. Nope, actually, that wasn't it. Let me bring that back in. When you get to a place, thank you, God, where the work is consistent, it can easily turn into a nine to five. Yeah. It can easily, I found myself in situation, I get it, it's the economic of it all, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we got to get stuff done, meet deadlines, where directors will say, Hey, I saw you in blah, blah, blah. I really love that one scene when you did da, 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 da. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, but no, I actually need you to do that here in this scene. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Let's use our words mm. better. <laughs> Speak from your heart. You know what I mean? Like, let's not just say take from that and put that on there. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I'm constantly negotiating and trying to push myself of... 
let's 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 stretch ourselves because if God gave me the ability to play multiple things, God gave me the ability to not just be a comedic actress, mm-hmm. to also have the because this is the funny thing in school I, I only did drama. I never did a comedic role ever once. You're gonna in be school. Juliet. <laughs> yeah. Good. I'm doing like heck your bum, crying, throwing stuff on the floor. You know what I mean? So that was when I came out in the industry, they were like, You're funny. And I was like, Really? <laughs> I it, it's it's baffling to me, but I love it because one sharpens the tools of the other. Mm. If I just stayed in one lane, I don't think I would be here today having these conversations yeah. and you and others experiencing what they're experiencing in my craft. It helps me stay sharp. I when I'm they're telling me, oh, you can do a TV show, a comedy on Hulu. Okay, but who's in it? Oh, Steve Martin, Martin Short. Absolutely. Because I need to be around them to experience them. To sharpen my comedic chops. To take it old school. Learn some more of that foundational stuff. Learn how to really set up a joke so that no matter what it is, even if the writing sucks, it'll always hit. I need to be around that. I need to be around an Eddie Murphy to learn how to finesse that. Listen, this episode, uh, uh, this season of Only Murders, they were like, the moment, I think I was at another event, and I ran into the uh, the musicians that were creating the music. And they're like, oh my God, we can't wait. You know, and up until this point, I was in every season. I have such a beautiful relationship with a showrunner. So it's always been like, yeah, girl, you're in the family. And they were like, oh, my God, we're so excited. We're working on Meryl Streep. I said, who? Because <laughs> they knew before I, it was like public knowledge. Mm. I immediately called them. I said, listen, you got to give me one episode. <laughs> like you gotta give me I got to be in the space <laughs> with that lady, please. Right? Let her just like sweat on me or something. Like yeah, something. It's because when we were in school, most of the time we were seated in a long row watching our classmates do scene study half 70 percent of our time at school was watching and being able to develop a technique in which you can still learn seated watching it wasn't always we were just up you know what i mean throwing stuff trying stuff out it wasn't there's too many students that's not how it works but they Mm -hmm. taught us how to do that so i've been able to and been very intentional of it's beyond oh they're famous Mm -hmm. Oh, they're, you know, whatever, high in the star meeting. No, 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 no. What does Divine need to learn currently in her process of being an artist? Yeah. And so when I'm asking who else is on that set, it's because I'm like, absolutely. I can absolutely get something from that person. I can absolutely from learn from that. And what I'm grateful for, for this one in particular, with Alex helping me maintain my standards and Paul continuing to endow what I already had and strengthen it even more and be like, absolutely, you're on the right path. Keep mm. going. It's important. It's beyond just, oh, they're famous. It's a true ebb and flow, give and take. It's an exchange. Yes, yes. That's Dave Vine, Joy Randolph, star of The Holdovers, now in theaters.
Oscar-winning makeup artist Kazu Hiro had used his gift for prosthetics to transform Gary Oldman into Winston Churchill in The Darkest Hour. When Bradley Cooper sent Hiro a text asking if he was interested in transforming the actor into Leonard Bernstein, the musical genius behind West Side Story and Candide, he jumped at the chance. Still, the task was daunting. For Cooper's new film maestro, Hero was required to make Cooper as believable as Bernstein at various points in his life. As a 25-year-old composer stepping onto the Carnegie Hall stage for the first time, and a wistful elderly man sitting at a piano conducting one of his last interviews. Variety's Jazz Tanke recently spoke to Hero about his daunting assignment for maestro. She began by asking him about getting the call. It was kind of uh, sudden because he announced and I was trying to reach out to him in um, in the mail and uh, talking to the agent and they didn't you know get reply or anything for a month and uh, suddenly he texted me uh and uh, he, he asked me in a text like if I'm interested to work on it so and I said of course you know <laughs> so that was a start um but there's a great backstory that you have about who actually recommended you for this role. Yes, I, I found out actually after maybe like the last day of the show, and because I didn't ask you know, how he found me, and uh, he was working on uh, Nightmare Alley with uh, Guillermo, and so Bradley asked Guillermo who would be the you know best person to do this with. And Guillermo told uh, Bradley, Kazu uh, is the only one who can do it. So that was why he contacted me. And yeah. and here we are. What's so special about you working on this film, not just seeing your incredible work that you did to transform Bradley, is your relationship to leonard bernstein and what he meant to you yes uh so i think that was when i was probably 19 i just started the specifics makeup um and i watched the uh you know i was still in japan and i, I watched the documentary about lenny and uh I, he was really inspiring he was just uh talking to the student because he was he was in japan and doing a rehearsal with the students and what he talked in that uh, documentary it really inspired me basically, you know, like uh, how to be the best musician or whatever you are aiming for. And so um, that's, I still carry that with me to really have a commitment and to do, to be the best. And that was a, great inspiration and at that time I was thinking like uh, oh, someday I want to work on a film about him you know doing a makeup and so it finally <laughs> came true you know after I don't know like a 34 or 5 years later see moral of the story is manifest what you want to do because mm -hmm. here you are and it happened um, so let's talk about Bradley's transformation because we see him, go, we see Leonard from his 20s go through to his 70s. Mm -hmm. What does that mean in terms of your work and what you had to do to break up the various stages? Yes. Uh, so the first thing, important part was uh, authentically to make Bradley look like a Lenny. 
And uh, you know, likeness is always hard because it's uh, everybody has a different uh, proportion on the face. Even like uh, I mean, Bradley is not too far, but still, Lenny is so iconic. You know, he had iconic face, so it was very important. And also, uh, aged age him based on what Lenny looked like, how he aged too. So um, it's kind of a you know, both uh, category, like aging and likeness, is something I really enjoy doing it. So um, it was really uh, important project for me. And also, um, you know, like Bradley was, is a, you know, in, in a good way, he's a per- perfectionist. So we spend a lot of time to refine the look and going through lots of tests and film tests and figure out what would be the best answer, you know, because uh, I have to figure out uh, what would be comfortable for, for him and also what will be practical to do every day because he will be uh, directing and acting at the same time. So I don't want him to be in a chair too long, too. So... Um, there was uh, lots of elements to figure out, and but uh, you know, at the end, it it went well, and you know, it it turned out to be great. I think. I think it, it did. Um, so there were five. I think we've discussed in the past that there were five different stages mm-hmm. that you went through. Of, you know, the first one being the least time in the makeup chair to the full transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, Talk about like the pe- you know, those different stages and that progression yeah. to slowly age him to reflect real life as opposed to something that's just yeah. So the first stage, so he was around twenty five and twenty six, and um, I had to make him look younger too, and so he had a uh, like an earpiece to change his ear, ear shape and a nose plug to widen his nose. And uh, also nose piece and lip, upper lip, lower lip, and chin. And he had a hairpiece. And uh, he also had a lift on the corner of the eyes and uh, around the jawline to make him look younger. Uh, Originally, we were talking about maybe we do a kind of CG enhancement to make his skin smoother. But he said after he looked at it, oh, we don't need this. You know, like we can do this without the CG. And then the second stage, we removed the lift because kind of a little bit younger than his own age. I mean, the Bradley's age. And then adding, uh, it was different pieces, but uh, adding a cheek and a neck and the yellow, that the third uh, stage with a different wig. And the fourth stage, uh, I added a forehead and uh, old age stipple on the eyes <clears throat> to make him a little bit older. Uh, but based on re- real Lenny, it was he was a bit older looking, but uh, Bradley decided to make him a little bit younger than because it's he was still like a. Uh, you know, like a dating with uh, younger guys and stuff like that. So, yeah, he he told me like uh, we should keep it sexy. So that's what he said. And uh, then all this stage was uh, pretty much whole f- 
head and face were covered, and also he had the body suits and the arm covered, and so like uh, it was full on, and and the la- you know, like the first stage was about two hours and ten minutes, and uh, then middle is uh, like a three hours, and the final was uh, about five hours to apply. I mean, when you hear about that, that's so. In you know, it's such a, an incredible like number mm-hmm. of like oh wait, it took two hours at this stage, and it's just a couple of pieces, and then by the fifth and final stage, you know, there's that scene where he lifts his arm up at the beginning, mm-hmm. and you see him completely aged, and you're just you're not seeing Bradley, you're seeing um, Leonard. But my question is like, if it take if it took Bradley five hours in the chair, how long does it take you to make these pieces, especially like that final stage where he's a full, he's fully transformed into, you know, the older Leonard Bernstein. How long does it take to make yeah. pieces? Yeah. You mean from a pre-production? Yeah, like go oh. through. Yeah, because when I designed, so after I scanned uh, Bradley's face and I sculpted five different stages on uh, the individual head cast, and so I can balance every look, you know, according to like uh, ages. Then, um, then the sculpture is molded, was molded and cast in silicone, cast uh, silicone in a mold. Then apply on his face, and it, it, because I have to do like a five stages, um, it took about you know like a. Put, Production production started pretty early because we were planning to film 2021, and we started 2020 in August. But uh, because the pandemic is pushed again, mm-hmm. and it ended up being uh, 2022. And uh, but usually, if I don't consider the pandemic situation. Uh, I think just do uh, five different stages, like a designing and uh, get ready for the filming would take about, I would say, like um, maybe probably three months to prepare. Yeah, but um, since we had time, we did lots of film tests and, uh, and the test inside of the shop before the filming. And that was great because we had a time to refine the look, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's. I mean, it's so amazing, you know, when you see that, you know, that performance and like, you know, hearing how you transformed him. What was it like for you seeing him in makeup for the first time? For the first time, yeah. Uh, you know, always the first time. What I do is kind of I overshoot in a way. Um, kind of try everything I can think of. And even like it's a failure, it's fine because um, I like that way, like I almost do too much and cut down rather than gradually walking up to the final point. (laughs) Because, uh, you know, I always say even like my, you know, when I teach at the school, I I tell students that the best teacher is your mistake. Because you have to fail, and so um, the after the first test, you know, I we start to find out what is good 
for me and what was good for uh, Bradley because uh, you know he he never had a prosthetic like that before on his face to change his look totally, and uh, so he got the sense of what it's like to have a prosthetic on his face, and uh, then and I start to learn what it's like to apply makeup on him. So uh, it's kind of uh, really like uh, working together and collaborate and finding a, and the right look you know, about you know, uh, what's good for this movie. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about some of your previous transformations. Obviously, you did Gary Oldman mm-hmm. in The Darkest Hour, who transformed into Winston Churchill, and, you know, Charlize Theron in Bombshell. You know, those transformations are based on real life people. Like, what are the challenges, or, or actually, what what do you enjoy about, cre- you know, transforming? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think you know. To me, it's kind of uh, the the most challenging part is this kind of makeup. If even like a just normal people look at it, they can tell right away if there's something wrong or not because we look at people every day and they're not like a creature suddenly appear in a movie or a monster, you know, like so everybody knows human face without kind of able to analyze what's what's right or what's wrong because it's like a uh, just a... I think it's uh, uh, that's that's the way we are, you know. Like we look at the people, and and then so it's like uh, and that's the challenging aspect. It I enjoy the most, and also I I'm obsessed with the human face too. So um, and uh, I like the portraits and on all different, you know, like a sculpture, painting, or photograph. So, uh, I think it's, I enjoy figure out, combine all in my interest and the skills and everything and uh, create another person for the film and uh, be the character in it. And that's, that's my favorite part (laughs) of this job. Is it harder to do, so to, to your point, is it harder to do creature makeup or a transformation when you're based on a real person is it harder yeah which is harder oh i i think it's transformation because especially like on the famous people because everybody knows you know how the bradley look like or sharice or gary and so uh it had to be good uh good enough to convince audiences you know, because they they will come to the theater with knowing who will be who is in in the movie, and but once the movie started, they have to be immersed in the story and watch the character as a character rather than actor acting as a character, and so um, in a way, like a, it's kind of a magic trick. But uh, you know, I uh, yeah, that's that's a. I think it's that's an important part to do, you know, do this job. Yeah. To me. Um, so now that you've achieved your dream mm-hmm. or your childhood dream of creating Leonard Bernstein, who else is on your 
wish list or what next? Let's put it out there. I want to put it out into the universe for you. I, I'm basically anyone, because to me, as long as it's involved in a movie, uh, it, it has to be a good story. You know, like a pro, uh, at first, like a script has to be good. You know, the way I judge is once I start to lead, can I put down or I'm putting putting down a lot or I cannot stop reading? And that's a... Uh, how I judge the uh, if I should take the job or not, and also including an uh, actor behind it, and a director and producer too. Uh, so any anything because every time I do any job of uh, involving a likeness, it's every time is uh, challenging because the situation is totally different. Because actors' face will decide what I can do and uh, how to do it. And um, so, not, nothing particular, but um, yeah, it's like a, it's really like it has to be some movie that after we finish and watch it, and uh, if I feel like oh, I'm glad walk, I'm glad I walked on this film or not, and that's, you know, that's the the key point of how I you know <laughs> decide decide what what to do or if I take it or not, you know. So my request here basically is, because I know you've dabbled in retiring, is, you know, being like, just don't retire (laughs) (laughs) for another decade or so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it was interesting, though. Like a first retirement, (laughs) it's it's almost reset my career, you know, like because, yeah. yeah. And that that was an amazing decision to not, to come out of retirement. Um, Okay, last question. You know, we we talked about your work. Has there been something that you've seen, you know, in the last decade or so? I'm going to give you that window. Where you're like, you know, that's a really good transformation. I wish I had done that. Or, like, I just admire this transformation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, like, my... I think it's... Anything like my mentor is Dick Smith and Rick Baker, and their work is still, you know, like uh, the best stuff yeah. <laughs> to me. So, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's very yeah. That those are their work is always I'm trying to achieve, but. You know what I what I learned from Dick was, uh, I mean, you know, because when I was young, I tried to almost like a to be a Dick Smith, you know, like mm. I was working so hard to be like him. But one time I realized that was that uh, I really have to find my way of creating something, because at the end. What, whatever, whatever I do is using my hand and my eyes and my brain, and we have to really establish our voice, own voice, and how to um, express that. You know, so when I kind of realized that, uh, that's the time I improved a lot on what I do. So, yeah. That's maestro makeup artist Kazuhiro. 
Maestro hits theaters in limited release on November 22nd and starts streaming December 20 on Netflix. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Zach Levin edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest awards predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Janelle Riley, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. <laughs> <laughs>